I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Nestled in the foothills above I-280, right next to Stanford University, is a community called Ladera. It's a picturesque residential enclave. Here's Chronicle reporter Lauren Hepler describing it. What we're talking about is this beautiful 260-acre area that has about 500 homes on it. It's full of oak trees, there's coyotes, uh, big sweeping views of the bay. This idyllic neighborhood is where Sonu Thadani and her husband wanted to start their family three decades ago. And when we saw this home, we loved the home itself. And thought, okay, we'll do a chapter here, and then we'll see what we do after that. But she noticed this provision on the house. And it says, no lots in said tract shall, nor shall any part thereof, or any estate or interest therein be, at any time, occupied by or used by any person or persons other than those of the Caucasian or white race, provided, however, that this restriction shall not be construed to prohibit the keeping of domestic servants of any race. Sonu and her husband are both immigrants from India, and that housing covenant was a shock to them. And when you are born and brought up in another country, you have this utopian idea of America. And certainly, when you come here, you find out that's not true, but you certainly don't expect to see something like this in writing. The realtor told her that provision was not enforceable. She let it go, letting it fade into the background of the country's racist past. But then, years later, that ugly provision reared its head once more. Ladera's history of racist redlining was written about in a book titled The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Sonu's daughter, a law student at that time, shared the history with her family. And then the country went through a racial reckoning. So then the murder of George Floyd happens in the summer of 2020. And my daughters were sheltering in place with us at that time. And that caused me to reach out to the larger community and said, who would like to work with me to build the change we believe in? Reporter Lauren Hepler joins me to talk about how homeowners like Sonu have tried to amend racist restrictions on their homes and how that objective, what Sonu described as a building the change she believes in in Ladera, was a lot more complicated than you might think. Lauren, thank you for chatting with me. I want to start with I understand they're not enforceable, but why do these old racial restrictions even still exist on titles of homes today? It's a great question because, like you say, these things have been legally unenforceable since 1968 when the National Fair Housing Act was passed. But they're really kind of relics of this era of redlining that has never truly been grappled with or expunged from something as basic as the deed to your personal home. So what's happening now in communities like Ladera on the peninsula, but also statewide in California and even beyond that in other places in the U.S., is that lawmakers and individual citizens are thinking about how do we even figure out where these things are still on the books and then what do we do to actually get rid of them? In your story, you spent time in the Ladera community, and they're grappling with these old covenants. Can you share more about how red lighting restrictions, like the ones on these titles, how did that shape this really affluent neighborhood? Present-day Ladera sort of started out after World War II, and it started as this co-op of people who were teachers, 
who were carpenters and they were looking for an affordable place to come together and create kind of like a holistic community. The problem was that this was in the era of redlining and they had planned to make the community racially integrated. And what that meant uh, was that they were unable to get construction loans and the Federal Housing Administration would not insure the community. So it's really kind of an interesting window into the way, even if you had neighbors that were committed to racial integration, which certainly was not the case everywhere, you could run into these sort of institutional barriers prior to the civil rights movement. And what that meant for Ladera was that they basically didn't have financial options to move forward with the community unless they agreed to take on money from a developer. And the deal that they made in 1950, it was very controversial at the time, was to go ahead and implement a total ban on non-white owners or occupants. And that actually meant at the time that four non-white families who had participated in this co-op were forced to sell their land and leave the community. Hmm. Wow. So this is a part of the Ladera's history that community members discovered through these housing covenants. Uh, so what did they find out about what it would take to remove the language from the titles? And why did the effort start now if these covenants have been in place for decades? Yeah, it was interesting how this played out because I talked to one individual homeowner. His name is Bob Felderman, who had come across this history of Ladera because it's actually in a book. It's called The Color of Law that was written by a historian a couple years ago. Um, and his teenage son read that book uh, after he finished his AP U.S. history class and said, is this our town of Ladera that's in this book? And the dad said, yeah, yeah, it is. That stuff is on our house, too. So they kind of he called it like being a nudgy parent going through this process of, OK, if we want to be like good citizens, how do we unwind this? And what they discovered is that it's this kind of crazy bureaucratic process where you have to pay for an official copy of the covenant. You have to yourself strike it out and rewrite it, even if you're not a lawyer or a public official or anything. Um, so it's not as easy as it might seem. Certainly not a process where you just like log in online and send an email or something like that. And eventually this effort in Ladera grows to more of a grassroots community effort. You know, how did the overall community respond to uh, understanding that this discriminatory language was on some of their homes? So what I heard from the community is that it was really sort of mobilized uh, at, a, at a bigger scale after the murder of George Floyd last year. And this was one of the things that a local architect named Leslie Wambach sort of thought, well, this is like a very concrete thing we can do because she herself had noticed the covenant on her own house when she bought the property years and years ago, but she wasn't quite sure what to do about it at the time. And that's something I heard over and over again from folks. They they knew these existed, but they were told, don't worry about it. It's not enforceable anyway. But in this kind of moment of reckoning that we all went through last year, that that wasn't good enough anymore. Um, mm -hmm. They decided they didn't want to just write a statement that said we disavowed this. They actually wanted to know what their options were to get rid of these things on all 534 properties in the community. And so that kind of like hit the first domino and it became this whole big campaign. After a quick break, Lauren shares what that whole big campaign looked like in the community of Ladera. And don't forget about the event I'll be hosting on Thursday. It's about the Chronicle's Oakland Homeless Project, which Lauren was a part of. And it will feature a panel with Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff. You can register to join in at sfchronicle.com slash membership. 
We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. We're back with Chronicle reporter Lauren Hepler to chat about the grassroots effort by the community of Ladera to rewrite racist housing deeds. Lauren, can you describe what the campaign looked like and how did community members get involved? It was a volunteer group of community members that came together. There is a central Ladera community association that I was told was generally supportive of the idea, but it was really on community members to make this happen. And so you had Leslie Wambach, the architect, uh, and you had folks like Bob Felderman, who had done this on his own house. He's a researcher at Google. And then other folks who I spoke with who work at Stanford and other sort of influential institutions that took time out of their busy schedules to figure out, okay, we need to meet with a lawyer to figure out what our options are. We need to raise money from our neighbors to go through all the county fees on this. And what they eventually learned was that they needed about 700 signatures. They needed two-thirds of all the named property owners in the community to sign off on this idea if they wanted to formally amend the covenant and rewrite it. So that's what they did. They did like a two and a half month signature campaign, like every Saturday outside the rec center in people's driveways. So really kind of a grassroots thing, even though it is this very nice and exclusive community. um, It really came down to sort of just these day to day interactions with neighbors to get the work done. And Sonu, who we heard from earlier, also played a large part in this campaign. Ultimately, the campaign was successful, but she says not everyone was behind it. Once we'd figured out what was possible, then it was a Herculean effort to get two-thirds of the community to sign. And it included, you know, people who came to my driveway for a signing session and multiple sessions at other people's driveways and in our local community center. But it also included endless phone calls from people who called and said, you know, Ladera is a great community. By bringing attention to this, part of what you're doing is breaking up an old, racist, irrelevant past, and we shouldn't do that. And I'm a restorative justice practitioner in addition to the various things in my life, and I think understanding and accepting that part of restoring for a future starts with truth-telling about the past. Lauren, it sounds like this whole effort really got Sonu and her community to think about race and diversity more critically. Yeah, it's, it seems like this is sort of a multi-pronged effort. Like mm-hmm. folks knew these covenants were sort of a problematic feature in a lot of their opinions um, of the community. Uh, but they're also thinking in the, the words of Sanu about how do we acknowledge sort of day to day that we didn't all fall off the Mayflower, as she said, mm-hmm. um, just acknowledging the fact that Silicon Valley is an increasingly really diverse place. You've got folks from all over the world living there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of just being a tiny little enclave in the hills uh, where everyone's the same just doesn't hold up anymore. So, Lauren, people might be listening to this and wondering about what kinds of language are on the titles of their own homes. Does every homeowner have to go through this really tedious volunteer-driven effort that you just described, which happened in Ladera, can something be done broader on a state level? 
It's funny you should ask. There was just a bill passed this year in the California legislature. It was AB 1466, uh, backed by an assembly member out of Sacramento who is biracial and again found one of these covenants on his own home several years back and didn't know what to do about it. Um, So what this bill would do starting next summer is that it would require realtors, escrow companies, title companies to actually point out that this covenant exists when someone is buying a house and they would have to provide them with a form to go about modifying this. But obviously part of this is on the counties. Like it's this hasn't always been easy to do in different places. So another part of the bill is requiring counties to adopt sort of a standard form so you don't have different processes all over the place. And one interesting thing is that it would also set aside some money to map where these covenants even are still today in California. Because as Kevin McCarty, the assembly member who backed this, told me, he said in an ideal world, we would have just canceled all of these covenants. But the problem is we don't even know where they are. Getting rid of old racist language, remnants of redlining is all well and good. But is this initiating larger conversations in communities around present day housing discriminatory processes? You know, Ladera is so affluent. Are there communities thinking about housing discrimination in a more current form? Yeah, so that is definitely the next frontier here. I mean, when you look at the numbers in a place like Ladera, it's really eye-popping. So Ladera is about 87% white, 90% college-educated, and the median income is north of $250,000 a year. Um, and that's according to census estimates. And that's a huge contrast from places on the peninsula that were redlined, where non-white folks were allowed to buy homes like East Palo Alto, which is about eight miles away. And there Mm -hmm. it's almost the inverse. It's 90% non-white, 20% college educated, and the median income is about $67,000. So numbers like that are obviously kind of powerful and speak volumes on their own. But what's harder to think about is what comes next. (laughs) Everyone told me for this story over and over again that words matter. It was important to them to sort of correct the historical record and say, no, that was in the past. Things have changed. But the big question is what happens then in the future? So communities like Ladera, they're not building new housing. Uh, They're sort of like large homes on roomy lots in the hills. And when I talked to community members there about this, they would acknowledge, yeah, there's a huge problem with affordability in the Bay Area as a whole. But then it becomes this tricky question of, okay, well, are you willing to build more housing in your neighborhood? But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I know when I talk to housing advocates, they say fixing all of this, the history of segregation in the Bay Area is going to come down to people stepping up and saying we're willing to make change in our own communities. But that's a harder conversation to have. Well, at least addressing the past and the history might be hopefully a good first step. Lauren, thank you for your reporting and thanks for chatting about it with me. Thanks so much for having me. Lauren Hepler covers housing and neighborhood retail for the Chronicle's race and equity team. Her story about rewriting racist housing deeds publishes online on Monday. You can find it on sfchronicle.com or on the Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening.